It's not calling you Josh Frydenberg, it's calling you Dosh Frydenberg. Under the coalition, taxes for hard-working Australians will always be lower. Well, g'day and welcome to the Two Jacks Hard Hats and High Viz. I think we're up to episode 10. And uh, it is the show where we look into the deep abyss of Australian politics in the 2022 post-election phase. Now, we enjoy doing the show. And if you, our dear listeners, ask, uh, 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 do enjoy it as well. We ask that you give us a review on your podcast app or flick us some comment in our email. That's uh, the conditional release program at gmail.com. Uh, or you can get hold of me. DM's always open on Twitter at Jack the Insider. Uh, <clears throat> and if you really like what you uh, hear, give us a rap on social media. Spread the word. I, I am here today, as I always am, with uh, Hong Kong Jack. G'day, Jack. G'day. Well, let's kick off the program. It was a very sort of interesting comment made by an a former colleague and a former Prime Minister of Anthony Albanese, uh, <coughs> or with Al- Anthony Albanese, Julia Gillard. And she said the biggest challenge facing Al- Anthony Albanese for the next three years will be getting enough sleep. Uh, and uh, it, she said, well, at the rate our new Prime Minister appears to be working at the moment, I think getting enough sleep might be the biggest challenge. That's what she told the ABC. Words of advice, she cautioned. Make sure you're looking after yourself as well. Should our, should our Prime Ministers be sleeping more, Jack? Well, I think that Elbow would be wise not to do a Kevin Rudd, um, uh, who used to seem to pride himself on never sleeping and mm. working all the hours of the day and night. Um, and I just don't think that works for it's whether, you're, not whether, you're, whether you're a prime minister, um, a, a partner in a law firm or anything you're doing, it's just a bad plan. Mind you, I think not being Kevin Rudd would be good advice for, for Elbow <laughs> more generally um, uh, than just on the sleep uh, factor. Yeah, yeah, well, just sleep and else and in other things. Yeah, so so, so the idea, of course, it's very sensible. And Paul uh, Paul Keating was known to uh, take a nap when Parliament wasn't sitting. Was would, would take a nap between the hours of two and three, and with a do not do not disturb sign on the office, uh, and. Um, it makes sense, doesn't it? You've got to look after yourself if you've you're going to have take on to th- this big job. You've got to have time to think and consider. That's it's what not, it's about. It's not a job that, invo- that necessarily involves running around and lots of activity. It's a job that involves some reflection and consideration. That's it. You've got to have that time to reflect and to think uh, without the phones ringing, without the door, without uh, without a knock on the door, you just need that time. Uh, Paul Keating uh, did find it. Kevin Rudd didn't. Kevin Rudd was on the twenty four seven sleep deprivation hook, I think, and that might have explained some of his uh, uh, some of some of his conduct as we went forward into his prime ministership. Um, yeah, all, the, all that business of having um, senior army people um, and, and whatever sitting out in the corridor waiting for hours just in case he wanted to talk to them, all that sort of crap. Now, yeah, I'm not suggesting that uh, Kevin did, in fact, suffer from sleep 
a deprivation psychosis. But but it is a problem if you're going to go the twenty two hour days and get and get worse. Get your staffers up at four or five o'clock in the morning and work them until midnight that night. You know things are going to start collapsing around your ears. No one makes good decisions under those circumstances. Indeed, indeed. Now, Jack, as we go forward for the Labor government, and we've talked about this in previous programs, it's what we call the Night of the Long Knives, where historically uh, public service chiefs were... Uh, were cut in, in, in particularly bloody and savage episodes. Uh, were cut and uh, were cut by an incoming government. It really hasn't happened so far. Um, the head of the Department of Prime Minister and Cabinet, Phil Gatchen, he walked and has been replaced by Stephanie Foster. Um, would you expect? To see, for example, a particularly controversial bureau, uh, bureaucrat by the name of uh, Pazzallo, the head of the um, the head of the Home um, uh, Home Affairs uh, uh, Department, would you expect to see that sort of person go? Well, I tend to think these things are up to the government, um, and and the reason for that is that they have to work with the the public servants, and they've got to find people who they can work with. Um, it's obviously better if they're wise enough to um, to leave some old heads there who have some corporate memory, um, and also some people who are going to disagree with them because you know you need to have you need to hear the alternate voices before you make a considered decision. But basically, it should be up to the government. I don't think anybody else has um, got us got a stake in it. Well, we haven't had a night of the long knives. I mm. mean, Pizzolo continues in that position, and also Catherine Campbell, who's uh, Secretary of DFAT, Foreign Affairs and Trade. She's been uh, winging her her way around the regions with uh, Penny Wong thus far, and obviously her advice has been considered uh, by the the new government. Now, Catherine Campbell is also uh, in the Army Reserve with the rank of Major General. Uh, She has got some problems coming up with robo debt which we'll talk about very briefly but yes it's a matter for the government to determine i guess you can't have someone who's become so overtly politicized that they can that they can be considered to be running uh, to, to to be a good option for a new party in government can you well that's that's a choice for the government to make you know they have to know who they can work with and and, and i'm happy that we leave that choice to them yeah, fair enough. Okay, so, so the, the, the wider question with home affairs is: is is the home affairs department too big? Yeah, and too all encompassing, and, and and that's an interesting question. And again, it's it's really one for the government to sort out. I mean, it's a it's it's a bit similar to the the home office in the United Kingdom, yes, um, um, which has a similar remit. Um, as does the Department of Homeland Security in the US. So this is a bit of a fashion to to pull all these things into the one department. And I, I'm not sure it's a good good plan, but the government have got to work through that and, and come up with a, a solution that they find um, practical. Yes, well, of course, those matters all did merge, and I think that was even in the Abbott or Turnbull government. So you do have areas within within home affairs that aren't really um, they don't really sit comfortably together. So you've got national yeah. security issues, then you've got immigration issues. Yes. Uh, some of these things should be running independently of one another, but they've gone into yeah. what we call a super department, Jack. 
and and indeed the federal police is in there as well. Yeah, I believe. Yeah. And, and 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 my instincts are against that, but that's something the government's got to work through. Yeah, we'll see if Home Affairs does get devolved. Um, um, I, do, I do hope they lose the black uniforms. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not a good look. And the medals. No. My Lord, what were they thinking? All right. All right, we do want to move on. We mentioned Catherine Campbell, who's Secretary of DFAT uh, and has been around the public service for a very, very long time. Um, she was, in fact, the, um, uh, <coughs> the head of the human... Uh, human, uh, let me just get this right, human services uh, department, uh, Jack, which sounds terribly Orwellian, doesn't it? Uh, the human services department. Uh, and she was in, she was uh, the head of that department when what we have called, what, what has become known as the robo-debt scheme came into place. And we know, because it's Labor government policy, that there will be a royal commission into robo debt, uh, <clears throat> and uh, we'll have to wait until Parliament resumes to find out just exactly what the terms of reference uh, are in, in, into robo debt are. Um, and for our we listeners, can confidently expect that they that that is one piece of legislation they will get through the Senate. Uh, yeah, well, they, 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 there won't be any problem whatsoever. Uh, I, mm. So this is going to be a thing. We don't know the terms of reference. We don't know the extent of it. How, how many sort of what resources have uh, will be thrown uh, will be thrown the Royal Commission's way? But it is it is government policy now. So just to give you a just to give our listeners a bit of a background for those who don't know about robo debt, uh, it, it, it was known as the online compliance intervention initially in the lab piece of bureaucraties there, bureaucraties. Uh, it was an unlawful method of automated debt assessment and recovery employed by Services Australia as part of its Centrelink payment compliance program. It was put in place in July 2016 and announced to the public in December of that year. The scheme aimed to replace the formerly manual system of calculating overpayments and issuing debt notices to welfare recipients. Um, and by replacing it with an automated data matching system that compared Centrelink records with the averaged income data from the Australian Taxation Office. Highly controversial it was and subject uh, of an investigation by the Commonwealth Ombudsman, two Senate committee inquiries and several legal challenges. There are, amongst other things, revelations that debt notices were issued to 663 uh, people categorised as vulnerable, that is, people with complex needs like mental illness and abuse victims, and those people eventually died. We're not suggesting that they died as a direct result of receiving a robo-debt notice, um, but there were a lot of people who fell by the wayside under a fair amount of financial pressure. On 11th of June 2021, the Federal Court approved a $1.872 billion settlement incorporating repayment of $751 million, wiping off wiping of all remaining debts and the legal costs running to $8.4 million, uh, which will be borne by the Commonwealth. In, in the ruling against the scheme, the Federal Court Justice Bernard Murphy described it as, and I quote, a shameful chapter in the administration of the Commonwealth and 
uh, go on to quote again, a massive failure of public administration. When that judgment was handed down, Josh, former Treasurer Josh Frydenberg said the government accepted the settlement but distanced itself from the suicides and mental health issues surrounding the administration of the scheme. So, Jack, it's going to be a fairly exhaustive inquiry on things that we pretty much already know and, and, and much of that surrounds advice from the Australian Solicitor General and others and others in and outside of government telling the government of the day that what they were doing was illegal. Gee, it's um, an old Slater and Gordon morning here, isn't it? Um, that's two of my old colleagues from Slater <laughs> and Gordon getting a mention: Julia Gillard and Bernie Murphy. You know? Yeah, well, yeah, Bernie, yeah, Bernie Murphy. <laughs> there he was. Yeah, yeah. Um, um, so, yeah so the, go on. Um, the, uh, Personally, personally, my view of where the Royal Commission is going to end up is that they're going to say it was a bad policy idea, it was poorly implemented, um, and, and you, could really, you could really write that first page on the report now um, and it'd be pretty right. Um, um, and these things happen in government uh, from time to time. Uh, where it ends up as to who said what to whom, well, we'll just have to wait and see. Um, yeah. uh, you know, um, well, what, what it has done is basically... Uh, uh, and rather than getting money into into the ATO or into Services Australia, it's ended up costing the best part of ten, uh, uh, the, the best part of uh, well, well, almost um, uh, five billion dollars in terms of uh, in terms of you know money coming out from the Commonwealth. So, th- so that's what it's actually cost. As I said, Catherine Campbell, who's now head of DFAT. She was head of human services, so she will be, I, I presume, uh, giving evidence under oath. Uh, and she did say in a Senate inquiry into robo debt, uh, dealing with uh, a, a Labor senator, Deb O'Neill's comment, people had died over robo debt. Catherine Campbell said, no, Chair, I do not accept these assertions that are being made. They are not correct. They're always going to be very, very difficult to prove, if not impossible to prove, <clears throat> that suicides and uh, other people who died uh, of just some, shall we say, recklessness, generally recklessness over robo-debt claims, you, you can't really, you, you, you won't be able to prove this. But this is not this is not pink bat stuff, Jack. This is really, really serious. You know, you've got thousands of lives who were affected by this, hundreds of people who have since died, um, and you would imagine there'll be a fair amount of public anger over it. Yeah, oh, I don't think that ministers are responsible for these debts or senior public servants any more than they were in the pink bat debts either, for that matter. Yeah. Well, it's going to be interesting. I mean, will uh, Anthony Albanese do as Tony Abbott did and allow cabinet documents to be made available uh, to the Royal Commissioner, uh, to, to the Royal Commission? Um, and just for an idea of uh, who's in the gun, who might be expected to uh, receive a subpoena, uh, with a request to please attend. In fact, it's not a please attend, just uh, we expect you here at, at 10 o'clock on, on a certain day. Uh, you've got Christian Porter, who was the Social Security Minister between 2015 and 2017. You've got Dan Tian, current Member of Parliament, 
who was Social Security Minister between 2018 and 2019. Stuart Robert, also a, men- a member of Parliament, overlooked in the ministry, in uh, sorry, in the Shadow Ministry. He was a Social Security Minister between 2017 and 2019. Bit of overlap there. Uh, Scott Morrison, uh, he first announced the policy when he was Social Security Minister in 2015. Maurice Payne was Human Services Minister at the time and made, uh, well, she was uh, part of that joint announcement. And then we've got Alan Tudge, who was Human Services Minister from 2016 to 2017. Um, <clears throat> those guys are all going to have to explain why uh, they uh, why they committed to this policy contrary to legal advice, Jack? Well, we'll just have to see where that goes. I mean, it's just, you know, I, I always think it's, um, you don't want to be guilty of uh, premature adjudication. Well, as a journalist, I can't wait for the perp walks, Jack. You know, mm. I just love it. It's going to be fantastic. There's a nice old list there. Christian Porter, woohoo, Stuart Robert, Scott Morrison, Maurice Payne, God. Yeah, he's virtually lapsed into silence since uh, since the election. And Tudgy, who stuck his head up above the parapet only after the election, when he was lucky to uh, lucky to uh, uh, to be returned to the parliament. Yeah, there's a nice old hit list there that someone will be a bit toey about it, Jack, won't they? Uh, yeah, I wouldn't be. I mean, I, I just think these things are survivable. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I think they probably are, um, but uh, it will be a tough old time. I mean, just for, because you're calling it evidence in, you know, I mean, we were just talking about my Slater and Miles Slater and Gordon Pals, both Julia Gillard and Bernie Murphy had to give evidence um, uh, before a Royal Commission. Royal they Commission in the trade yeah. unions, yeah. 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 Well, and, they came, and they both came out of it fine. You know? Well, that, it's really interesting. It's a really interesting, um, um, uh, you know, the footnote that you made there because we did have in the Abbott government we had the um, pink bats and then we had the um, which was a get Julia Gillard effort and the uh, 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 and Bill Shorten as well Royal Commission in the Trade Unions uh, where the commissioner there was a judge who. Uh, my former High Court judge who uh, did have a few difficulties post Royal Commission, Jack. In terms do you of think, do you, do you think that they have, really suffered any real harm because of those Royal Commissions? Uh, ultimately, there were no findings made against Julie Gillard or, or Bill Short, no uh, adverse findings made against them. Uh, it was a pretty tricky time. I guess my question is does an incoming government want to really kick the former government around and its senior figures? Should it do that? Well, the Abbott government clearly did want to do that. Mm. Um, I, I don't know that it did them all that much good, and I don't know that it did the people who were investigated all that much harm. Yeah, how do the people, you know, how do people generally regard this? Thing, regard this? Do they sort of see it as a sort of, um, uh, you know, sort of invective and revenge sort of mission? Um, uh, clearly, with the Royal Commission, the government is hands off, but. Um, um, but, yeah, is that what the people see? Just, you know, come on, you know, and we can sort of let these things go. My view is that any time you waste, well, the best part, I think, is 5 or $6 billion of taxpayers' funds, there should be a fairly substantial inquiry. Yeah, look, I think that's right. I mean, I've got no objection to having the inquiry. I'm just a bit of a sceptic as to how much damage, if, you, if you're doing it to inflict damage on the former government, I'm a bit sceptical as to how much damage you can inflict. And so, and and should the new government, if it sees a head, should it kick it? 
Oh, well, I suppose there's always temptation to do that. Um, uh, it, it just depends whether politically you make the judgment whether that's going to have much effect. I don't think it had much. I don't think those Abbott Royal Commissions had much effect politically. Yeah, no, well, yeah, it led to, I mean, I think... Uh, Some short-term political pain, but no real long-term long political damage yeah. would be how I would assess it. Yeah, 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 yeah. okay. Yeah, look, it's it, it probably sold a lot of newspapers. The whole business of um, uh, the, uh, the the allegations against uh, the former Prime Minister Gillard uh, sold a lot of newspapers, and I think one that I worked for in particular. Um, <coughs> yeah, and, and 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 that can be kind of um, personally devastating at the time. But um, uh, if you're a politician, you've got to have a thick skin. Yeah. yeah okay. Don't tell Kevin that, though, either, will you? <laughs> you might be listening in and listening, listening we, for Kevin, some we sort know, of, we, we some know sort of News Corp influence, Jack. <laughs> so I think that's all he does now, isn't he? Just scans yeah. the newspapers yeah. looking to see Which, where he's been wronged. Mm, but, perhaps we should say that I've never been paid by News Corp. You know, you may be, but I haven't been. I've written a few things for them, but I've never been paid for them. So, Kevin, I'm not a News Corp hack. You know, I'm sure, yeah, no. you didn't get paid, Jack. You should have put your hand up for that if you're yeah. contributing material to the paper. As, as, and I know you have in your in your capacity as uh, uh, as a, I think as, as a, an immigration law specialist. Uh, but anyway, uh, I want to talk now a little bit about. Um, uh, about politicians who have, who have since left us, and not from this mortal core, but left the parliament and where they, uh, you know, w- w- what they can look forward to. It might be a very, very tough one. There was a piece in The Guardian uh, from Trent Zimmerman, the former member for North Sydney, talking about what the, what the, 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 the week since the election have meant to him. Um, I'd suggest... Uh, without wanting to be rude to Trent, because I think he was a good local member, uh, I suggest uh, that uh, the worst is yet to come, Jack. Yeah, look, there's always going to be a few MPs for whom this is just the best job they're ever going to have. I'd say most of them. And it's going to be downhill from there. No one else is ever going to give them access to the Chairman's Lounge at Qantas. <laughs> um, uh, 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 so, and, uh, but there's the, that, that's this is true, and this is dripping in Schadenfreude, of course. But 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 what are their employment prospects? If you let's say if you're a Labor member who had a background in the unions, left that to join the Parliament, or if you're you know a political consultant, political staffer who'd risen through the ranks in the Liberal Party um, to become a, a senator or a member of the House of Representatives. There's not a lot of employment prospects left there, are there? There are only so many jobs in the lobbying business, aren't there? Yeah, yeah. It's actually quite tough. I, 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 I remember talking to a uh, well, friend of ours uh, who was a former member of uh, the uh, the Upper House in New South Wales Parliament, and she spoke about how difficult it was for her to get employment post-politics. Um, and and this is it was not an un- yeah, her circumstances were pretty pretty reasonable, um, but um, but uh, she talked about how even some of the highest members of uh, uh, some of the m- most uh, renowned members of her parliament just find themselves unemployable. Yes, um, I, think, I think that is true. It is, yeah, it certainly is. And and so when we get to these issues like you know um, uh, superannuation for parliamentarians. 
that's essentially why, you know, the states still have these loaded superannuation uh, funds, um, but uh, in 2004 they were, they, they, they were knocked over um, for all new members beyond 2004. Um, or from it was a typical Mark Latham. Typical Mark Latham. Mark, Mark Latham idea. A shocker. <laughs> it, it, it's a shocker, and I'll tell you why it's a shocker. Because it doesn't encourage good people to join the parliament. No. If you're going to interrupt your career, whatever we want to call it, your 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 career arc, uh, <clears throat> uh, for a period of time to join parliament to engage in the business of public service, then you need to have a little bit of a reward for that. And, and, you know, in order to get good people in, that's what you need to do. Well, um, you need to have a little bit of security, um, not in terms of being able to keep your job, because the very essence of the job is, no, you can't keep your job um, when the voters decide they don't want you. Um, but you need to have some uh, security of income um, uh, beyond that. I noticed so, that. So, so I think I think that was a mistake, uh, 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 you know, as a typical Mark Latham idea, just, a, just not a good one. Um, uh, and, uh, yeah, yeah. Well, less said about uh, Mark, the better, as usual. Yeah. But um, it was a terrible decision. I noticed that the government had brought in a new funding arrangement for retiring politicians or those that did not re- did not get pre-selected, and that's a hundred thousand dollars. It's basically a six-month severance payment. Mm. Uh, that was that's made available to uh, you know there was some controversy over the member for Dawson, uh, Mr. Christensen, George Christensen, uh, who uh, received a hundred thousand dollar payment because he had uh, resigned. He effectively resigned from the party uh, because he, he stood as a One Nation candidate. Is that what we should be doing? Little 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 parachutes out? Yeah, I think that's probably right. Mind, mind you, it'd go a long way in Manila, wouldn't it? Hundred thousand. <laughs> He, he did spend a lot of time there. Yes, yeah. so he would know the value of, a, of an Australian dollar in the in the Philippines. Yes, yeah. oh, and, right. and, and, and he used to be applauded for his outreach to our Southeast Asian neighbours. Look, yes, yes, indeed, a great, a great cultural, uh, a great, great cultural envoy he was. Um, I, I, more broadly, I just want to talk about this. Um, one of the things that uh, that I get a little bit annoyed about is when um, the media jump all over a politician who um, uh, has made uh, uh, claims for reimbursement, might have overcharged for a meal that perhaps wasn't uh, wasn't their due, and all this sort of stuff. And we and we're seeing politicians get getting basically crucified in the media over five or six hundred dollars or you know a grand here and there and that sort of stuff in the in the in the realms of government waste it, it really is it's sort of minuscule when we sort of talk about robo debt at five billion um, uh, this is another thing that really discourages people from joining politics the fact that you could go into politics not quite understand how the expenses systems work and all of a sudden uh, you're the worst person in the world for a couple of days uh, because you've charged a $500 dinner to uh, to the taxpayer, perhaps inadvertently, perhaps you're being a little bit slippery. But those are the sorts of things that keep good people away from politics. You think, what, who, would want to, who would want to do that? I think we ought to have our, our, our eye on the important um, uh, issues. Um, not, I don't care too much whether John Cain 
had a little tin with his own stamps in it to uh, to send all the personal letters out, you know, not at the cost of the Victorian state <laughs> yeah. government. It's a, um, it's a Ben Chifley thing, isn't it, you know? Yeah, but lovely I, but old Ben. But I would but, prefer but it doesn't really lo- work in the 22nd century. I would prefer we didn't lose the state government, the state bank of Victoria. You know, um, um, that's a little bit more important than the stamps. You know? yeah, that's and, right. But we did we did save probably about a dollar forty on the stamps. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Lost maybe I think it was about ten billion in in yeah. in nineteen nineties money, but we did yeah. save a little bit of money on the stamps. The that's stamps. exactly right. So you need to get the focus right, and this is yeah. about getting better people into your parliament. Yes. Uh, and, and people who are not going to be uh, intimidated by the thought that they could have their reputations crushed over a $500 expense claim. Yeah, it would be better if we had a few less people who were lifelong political consultants and advisors and a few more people who had a wider experience. And to get those sort of people in the parliament, you've actually got to have some benefits attached to it. Some benefits attached to it and, and a bit of an understanding, um, you know, that uh, uh, if you come from the outside world, whether it's the corporate world or a, 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 any other background, I mean, you know, there's a preponderance of lawyers, Jack, nothing nothing personal, of course, but there's a preponderance of lawyers in there and there's a preponderance of people who have just, you know, climbed up the greasy political pole. We could do with yeah, a broader yeah, reach of members. I couldn't agree more. You know, you, you look back at um, that that best cabinet we keep talking about, that that, that hawk cabinet. Yeah. And the you know we had a butcher, uh, we had a farmer, and a shearer, um, shearer, yeah. um, uh, and and a, and a, quite a few people from 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 a, a variety of backgrounds. That not everyone he had worked as a political advisor or a, or a lawyer. Bill Hayden had been a copper. Yeah. 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 Very. Yeah. That's what. That's essentially what you want. You want that sort yeah. of mix that represents. Or reflects the communities, the broad communities they represent. Yep. Yes, yes, good stuff. We're agreeing oh, just about on everything, Jack. It's uh, that's it's, terrible, with the, with, the, <laughs> with, the, with the possible exception of my views on lawyers. Um, <clears throat> uh, look, uh, let's just take a look at the opposition. Poor, sad things that they are, uh, and uh, while they're licking their wounds. Uh, let's offer them some advice on how they should be going about it. This is a, this is advice from experience. What I was really thinking about the day is what's the worst thing you can do when you lose government? Uh, and I thought back to 1996 when um, uh, the Keating government was defeated um, and Labor indulged in years after that of the silliest response to losing government. And that was to say the people got it wrong. The people were stupid. They were misled. They were duped, um, but they got it wrong, and, and that that meant that there was no really effective opposition to the Howard government for some time. So, Jack, now we want to go to the opposition, and those poor old darlings are sitting around, licking their wounds and trying to trying to make it look like they're not in the terrible pain that they are in. What are your tips for being in opposition? Uh, after having been hurled from government? Well, there are two two examples that I can think of and that I had some involvement with. Um, the first was in 1975 when um, uh, Whitlam government was turfed out and the second was in 1996 when the Keating government lost. Uh, and on both of those occasions, the Labor Party pulled the wrong rein. Uh, they decided that the best approach 
uh, in both those occasions was to convince themselves that the voters had got it wrong, that they were duped, that they were stupid. Um, uh, and, uh, and that meant that there was no really effective opposition uh, to the Fraser, early Fraser government or the early Howard government um, uh, because that's exactly the wrong approach. And to be fair, at the moment, the Liberals don't seem to be doing that. Um, and, well, and, I'm not so sure. What I would say is that uh, certainly in 1977, uh, Labor copped another hiding. It was, a, I think, it was a bigger hiding than 75, wasn't it? Much bigger. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so, what you what you're effectively doing is saying the voters are wrong. Yes. The voters got it wrong. When you go into that kind of, you know, we were we was robbed mode. Yes. That's essentially what you're saying. Yep. And, and, uh, and sanity and recovery only comes when you ask, what did we miss that the voters could see? What did we get wrong? Not what did they get wrong, what we got wrong. And, 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 and when you examine what the voters could see that we couldn't, then you start to make um, a, a, a steps on the road to re- political recovery. Yeah, and I'm not convinced that the uh, that the Liberal Party is doing that, Jack. Uh, I, I I I know that there's a review in place, Brian Luffman, uh, Brian Luffman, I should say, uh, and, uh, and and Senator Jane Hume are conducting an inquiry into what went wrong, but I think that's restricted to the to the election campaign. Uh, and, and certainly in terms of review, I just see in Peter Dutton. I mean. Let's be fair, the, the, the coalition didn't have too many other options but to go to Dutton. But Dutton, I, I believe anyway, will be is a, a basically a singular reminder of the, of, of the failures of the, of the previous uh, uh, government. <clears throat> and so he will have his work cut out for him. Certainly, if he, if he moves forward saying, look, we were just a, we were just a good government out of luck. Well, I don't think he's saying that at all. That's not how I read his. Oh, there's really no. I haven't seen one thing that reflects that that where he has had a moment of reflection. To be honest, well, no, I think um, uh, it's pretty clear what the Liberal government think went wrong, and and his name's Scott Morrison. Yeah, that can be. It can be an easy thing, and I've actually said that in columns at the Australian that you know you could basically save themselves a lot of time and a lot of money and reviews and yeah. so forth and just uh, very short, you know, they need a short card, just write the word Scott Morrison, the word Scott Morrison well, on it well, and well, that's why well, they lost. Well, there were two reasons when they lost. One, they'd been there for a long time and, and Australians have a history of getting uh, a bit worn out with governments and chucking them out. Um, and, um, and the second one was they'd lost their way a little bit and Scott Morrison was largely responsible for that. Yeah, so what do they do? Do they, well, they, they you just, know, go, they go just, the old Soviet style, uh, Nikita Khrushchev, dismantle the, the cult of the personality um, over Stalin? What, what do they do? They surely need to say, this guy led us astray. Yeah, I, I don't think you've got to say that out loud very much. I think you've just got to let it, you know, you just got to leave, leave it unsaid but on the table. Uh, what they've got to do is just going back to do the, the things where the Liberal Party succeeds, and that is just to be a basic centre-right party where you've got both Conservatives and Moderates 
um, and and you try and push for for good government. That's when that that's when they're successful, and that's all they've got to do. They haven't got to worry about moving left, moving right, um, or um, dismantling Scott Morrison. It would be better for them if he got they got him out of Parliament, um, but. You know, apart from that. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? I mean, look, Parliament hasn't sat, but but presumably he will be he will be sitting somewhere up the back uh, on the wrong side, not in the Treasury benches, uh, in the forty seventh Parliament. And then you just you imagine that he, his resignation will announce uh, the announce the the announcement of his retirement will will occur within within days, if not weeks. It seems odd that he's hanging around. Yeah, who knows where that'll end up? And there's, there's only so much that the, the Liberal Party can do about that. He's, a, he's an MP and he's entitled to stay, you know, yeah. and they can't offer him a job. So, um, uh, you know. It, it, look, he hung around the lodge a fair time too. Uh, not the lodge, I should say, Kirribilli House. He hung, hung around there until they got the, got the removalists in uh, quite late. Uh, nothing really wrong with that. It was start, starting, to get, starting to aggravate people a bit. Um, but uh, he hung in there for a little while, um, and uh, there was some talk of renovations of his home, of uh, his uh, own home. Um, so perhaps there was an excuse. Um, it's the last thing they need, isn't it? Him hanging around like a bad smell in the party room. Well, I, I, I don't think he's a, a political plus for them. Put it that way. Yeah, um, I just imagine that uh, that he'll have to go at some point, and there will be, and there has been. I mean, we see some of the conservative columnists talk about the reasons for the loss, and there's more sensible ones who haven't gone. Well, what we need to do is go, you know, <laughs> go go to the right, you know, go to go, go and see, go and sort of attract the sort of voters that Genghis Khan, you know, appealed to, um, those sorts of things. It's sort of madness. But in the sensible stuff, they've just gone, look, this guy was really a nightmare. And he was a bit of a nightmare because his party made him a nightmare, didn't they, Jack? Because in 2019, he won the unwinnable, Labor lost the unlosable, whichever way you want to put it, and I think he walked away thinking he was sort of some sort of electoral mandrake, you know. And certainly that was his behaviour in the in, in, in the campaign just finished. Yeah, political hubris is a dangerous thing, isn't it? Yes, yeah, exactly right. You remember when we were talking at the campaign at the very start, I think it was probably a first or second show, and I said, well, do you reckon Scott Morrison will go and, 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 and travel in the West where he's clearly unpopular? And I think he did it that day. But then he did it again in the mm. week before the election, mm. you know? I reckon he's. I reckon he, just the fact that he's turned up uh, in Perth probably lost him. Probably lost him about thirty or forty thousand votes. Just that alone. Yeah, could well, be. Well, yeah, but I, I just get back to it. The Liberal Party haven't got to do any of these things of moving left or moving right. None of those things are necessary. All they've got to do is go back to doing what's worked in the past for the Liberal Party. Mm. Okay. Yeah, uh, look, I'm not sure. We'll see. What's the? I guess what's the next pressure point? I mean, we know that Dutton is in that position as a as a opposition as an opposition leader who has come uh, uh, come in after uh, after after a party's been punted from power. Uh, they don't they don't make prime ministers. History tells us. Yeah. What's going to be his next point of tension? I would think the Victorian state election wouldn't be if there's a poor result there. 
Oh, well, that, that's going to be a poor result, whatever he does, so that, that's, that's got not much to do with it. You know? State factors, Jack. Mm. It was all determined on state factors. Well, I love it when the feds keep in, in, march in, out in, after a state election. In, in that case, it's the, pro- the problem is the New South, the, the Victorian branch of the Liberal Party. That's the problem. Yeah, I think everyone is sort of accepts that, but there yeah. will there will be there will be those questions asked and those and those responses, po faced offered Jack of yeah. uh, oh we were just dealing with state factors there, yeah. uh, <clears throat> and we did want to talk about the teals, the great phenomenon of the twenty twenty two election, and uh, I wrote a column last week suggesting they were like an ashtray on a motorbike, Jack, because they they are a little bit useless. They're sitting on the cross benches looking lovely in their turquoise outfits, but not actually doing a whole lot. No. Well, that, that can be a really good life in Parliament where you, <laughs> where, where, where you, get, all the, you get all the perks. Uh, you don't get any power because power only comes from sitting on the Treasury benches. Um, but you... Also, don't get the responsibility that goes with that. So, if you sit, if you sit there as a as a teal member, you can advocate for the superficially attractive but disastrous policies um, and get away with it forever. Yeah, well, the Greens have been doing that for a while, haven't yeah. they? Um, uh, <coughs> oh, the Greens will be a far more serious outfit in this part. There's no doubt of that. That's due to their numbers in the Senate, but the teals really only have representation uh, in, in the House. Uh, and and, and history, history tells us life gets a lot harder for third parties, and the Greens will find this now, um, when they get closer, when to, when they get mm. closer to power. You mm. know? As I say, if, we, if, if Cheryl, and da- Cheryl and Gareth will forgive the expression, when they get in bed with the government. Yeah, well, there you go. Yes, as the, the, as the Australian Democrats did, the... I just want to go through. They, they, they sort of so have it's a, so it's alleged that they got in bed with the government. <laughs> uh, well, yeah, yeah. Well, I think it's more than alleged. Thank I you, think it's acknowledged. You. I think thank it is you, acknowledged. Thank you, thank you, Laurie Oaks, for the information. You know. <laughs> <laughs> so, so when we go to uh, the, it's a, a a trifactor of a platform uh, with the teals generally. Um, they're not all women. There's one uh, from uh, from Tasmania who's not uh, Andrew Wilkie, who calls himself a teal. Uh, they, they have a sort of a threefold platform. Uh, the, the first is uh, there should be more women in power, mm. and I just wanted to go through the numbers um, of Labor's newly elected uh, MHR, seventeen of them, uh, ten are women. Of Labor's seventy-seven seats in in the uh, in the lower house, thirty-five are women, and ten of the cabinet uh, of the twenty-three member cabinet are women. I mean, basically, Labor is already delivering these things. Not just not just women in Parliament, but women in power. Yep. And then we get to their second um, platform, and that's integrity, and that can largely be dealt with. I mean, we, I think they also refer to things like personal integrity and, and personal conduct in the parliament, in and out of the parliament. But with integrity, uh, we're going to see an ICAC created, Jack, and, and while we're not quite sure of the nature and form of that, uh, and the Teals may well be consulted, I'm sure they will be, uh, as will the Greens, and as should the opposition be consulted in regard to uh, what they uh, what they believe an ICAC you know, or a, a federal anti uh, com- a corruption commission might look like, 
but that is essentially out of their hands too. Yeah, and let's face it, what's the ICAC to do? It's, um, you know, their idea of corruption is um, uh, uh, politicians making decisions that they disagree with. Yeah, well, yeah, well, that's that's right. I mean, it needs to be a robust body, and I and I suspect. Well, you want to hope that Elbow doesn't do a Nick Griner, mate, and, uh, and Terry Metherall appears from nowhere, and uh, all of a sudden he's in terrible trouble. This is one of the problems that they had in New South Wales. They did define corruption, didn't they? Uh, they had a had a working definition that didn't stand up to a Supreme Court challenge when Nick Reiner was found to be technically corrupt himself in offering uh, Terry Metherill a job out of politics uh, in order to vote with the government. Which is, um, which is, which is just not corruption. No, but it's it's unseemly, but it's not corruption. Yeah. But that's, that's the trouble with all of these things, whether it's a Human's right, Human Rights Act or ICAC, they're an attempt to take the decision-making away from elected people and give it to the priestly caste of lawyers um, uh, because the progressives are more confident that they will do what the progressives want. They know that they can't persuade the majority of people to go along with some of these things, so they backdoor it. They get a bunch of lawyers to, 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 to push this through without, the, without the, the, the dangers of going to a vote on it. Yeah, look, it's something that needs to be closely considered, and not least of all, a definition, a working legal definition of corruption. That's something that needs to be considered in, in regard to an ICAC. Um, the other thing that, that must be part of it are public hearings, and, the, and these things, you know, are, are hotly disputed by, perhaps you don't agree with it either, but in my no, view, every, everything, <laughs> everything needs to be out in the public as far yeah, as I'm concerned. My point, though, is that however this ICAC is created, Jack, whether it's to be a friend of journalists or a friend of, uh, a friend of, the, of, of the public good, um, it, it, it is largely going to be created without much involvement from the Teals. Yeah, that's correct. Yeah, and, and, no, and they, get, they will be asked their opinion. But, yeah, know. yeah. Well, th thanks for coming, sort yeah. of thing. Thank you, mother, for the rabbits, and that'll be the sort of response they get. Um, perhaps more politely than that. But then the third element of the Teals' very existence is climate change, mm. and I just want to want to read. Uh, uh, a, a fairly long quote from uh, Madeline King, who's the Resources Minister, uh, and and she is, uh, and this is a, a quote that she gave to the Australian, Paul Kelly, I think, um, uh, and she said, the solution to an en the energy crisis, which is, which is gri gripping the world at the moment, is a sensible mix of coal, gas and renewables. She said... We need a sensible plan of action that looks at all the energy mix. That will be a combination of fossil fuel energy, coal for the moment, certainly gas for some time, but importantly renewables and hydro. Pitting them against each other or turning this into a political football, which we have done for far too long, has led us to this situation. She goes on. My starting point is that all of our energy mix must be in the plan for the future. As things fluctuate, you have outages. The question becomes, how do we back them up? It's gas right now. Will it be renewables in the future? It will, provided there's proper investment and the battery storage capacity is built up. Now, that's or, fairly practical, isn't it? Or, or we could just do what the French do and get 70% of our electrical power from a safe 
dispatchable um, uh, carbon-free source. Nuclear reactor source, yeah. Well, we could do that, but it's not 2030, Jack. I mean, you're going to have to bring these things online. And Nuclear is just not an option because it just takes too long. You've got a crisis now. You cannot get a nuclear up and running in Australia. Well, they say eight years. I mean, eight years is kind of an construction phase. I mean, and then you say, where are you going to put it? You know, where are you going to put it? You're going to put it in McKellar? Um, you, you need to, it needs to be close to water. Um, it, it's just not a viable option right now when this, when flexibility is required. And that's what I that's what I got from Madeline King's comment. And then I think, well, how are the Teals going to deal with that sort of um, uh, approach from the government? That, if, that- if, if, if you're serious about energy in Australia then your choices for um, a base load power uh, are coal, gas and nuclear. That's it. Uh, well, you've got hydro <coughs> and but, hydro. But, but you, yeah, we haven't got enough water to have hydro as the base load power. Mate, you need a fair bit of water to do nuclear as well. Yeah, but uh, but you can use salt. <laughs> you can you'd stick that on the ocean if you want to. But yeah, well, we haven't got enough water up in the mountains. Surface paradise. So do you yeah. do you think do you think you'll be able to slip one into the northern rivers somewhere? Well, people, I don't people, know where you're going to be able to put this, mate. People, more tourists go to, to to France than anywhere else in the world, and they seem to put up with a nuclear power station in every second valley. I, I, that is one reason we won't have nuclear power. Firstly, we've got this great long lead time. I, I'm not opposed to it um, uh, in, in uh, you know, in some sort of philosophical way. I'm just saying that practically it can't happen. Firstly, you've got a long lead time in construction, but you will have an even longer and uglier process of in, of, of, of approval, of public approval, um, given that uh, you're going to have to put this put this where, near where there's a lot of water, that means coastal construction. That means where you've got high levels of population around Australia. It's just not well, that, well, well, what does that prove to me? It proves to me that people are not really serious about climate change. Well, that might be that they're certainly not going to be. You can get very serious about having a nuclear reactor uh, in, in, in their in but, their but that's in their your choice. This is carbon-free power. You can do all the stuff you want to do on climate change if you just embrace nuclear. Yeah, I just you, you, it's going to have to be built on and the if coast. And, and if you're not access to access you, to salt water, if you're not prepared, <clears throat> not prepared to consider this, you're not really serious about climate change. All right. Well, I do notice uh, just at the uh, at, at, as we get to the end of this that the that the incoming government were very very upset with the outgoing government who might have told a few porkies about where we are in terms of uh, what do they call it uh, the hydro two point zero snowy snowy hydro two point zero uh, that that is uh, a long way away from completion and this a was, long this was way Malcolm out of Turnbull, Malcolm Turnbull's um, uh, uh, you know, brainy idea was it. It, 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 it's got a, got a fair bit going for it, Jack. It's just, you just got to get some investment involved in it. I mean, you can run you can run major industries, particularly things like aluminium smelting and what have you, around 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 hydro. You just you can do those things. So we've got the, this huge hydro uh, uh, facility in place. Um, it just needs to be upgraded, and apparently the government, who, even the previous government, and the one before that, in the in, in the 
the, uh, the case of Malcolm Turnbull's government, have been lauding this and saying it's a cracking idea and, gee, we've got some money and some investment involved and apparently it's a long way away from, well, it's not yeah. that far off the drawing board. Meanwhile, the Chinese and the Indians are ramping up coal um, uh, electric production. Well, and, and we'll see this in Europe too. We'll see this in Germany. The UK is commissioning a new nuclear power plant. Yeah, look, they may. I mean, again, if you want to come to political issues, you know, you, you probably won't get one in, built in the United States, for example. Um, you won't get one built in, J- in Japan, uh, another one built in Japan. Um, and and I, I doubt that, you know, I mean, maybe the Germans will back back on that. But the, um, the Americans, I don't think they've built a nuclear power plant since the 1970s in the States, not since uh, Three Mile Island. Uh, no, they have, but not many. Yeah, no, you're not. You're right. Not many. Yeah, yeah. And that's the problem, though, isn't it, Jack? You know, do we yeah, have a well, three mile island or do we have a Chernobyl? Yeah, um, I think the, the the problem for the oh, climate change people is that they don't want they they don't want coal uh, they don't want coal fired uh, uh, power stations and they don't want brown and yellow people to have coal power to have, 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 have electricity. All righty, we'll leave it there. Can I just quote Chris Ullman? I thought, I thought it was a, a really lovely way to finish his column this morning and a, and a political reminder to people. Promising to make voters colder, poorer and hungrier is no way to win government. Yeah. Well, look, I, when I look at Madeleine King's comments there, that is sensible. That is doable in terms of the challenges we face now for the next decade. Yeah. That is all doable. You don't see a lot of uh, political, uh, 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 you know, political hurdles, massive political hurdles like nuclear energy. I mean, uh, Dutton has talked it uh, talked it back too from uh, from uh, from the opposition. When we do have things like the the mix of things, we've got some absolutely terrible policy in terms of gas in this country. Uh, absolutely terrible policies that have been created, where essentially we make nothing on exports. Uh, and and, uh, and and we're being dealt out of dealt out of supply. It's just insane. Um, but I, I look at Madeline King's remarks there, Jack. Surely you would be, surely you would be satisfied to a point about that. There, there is that sensible stuff there that says coal for the moment, gas for some time. Well, it's much more sensible than the teals and the greens. Yeah, and that's. And, and, I mean, and, that, that was my original point. Yeah, I mean, that, and, and, and the teals and the greens are going to be left. Um, uh, out in the cold, so to speak, on this, uh, mm. because their policies are impractical, um, and and that will eventually pay. As as, as Chris Ullman says, you can't win government by telling people you're going to make them colder, hungrier, and, um, uh, and poorer and poorer. Mm. Okay, all right, okay. So now we get to uh, one of those issues that probably probably took up too much time in the Keating government, uh, the, the issue of the Republic. Now, I am a uh, <coughs> fervent Republican, just to lay uh, my, uh, my, uh, my beliefs at the door, uh, and, uh, and the government has a policy of, well, it's hard to say, it's, uh, the Albanese government has a policy to basically talk about this. I, and, I think that's the policy, yes. Yeah, and Matt Thistlethwaite has been appointed uh, the Assistant Minister for the Republic. Uh, Matt's been around the Parliament for a long time and that's his new gig. 
you know, what are the chances of Australia becoming a republic? Uh, well, the, the, the difficulty is, that, you know, as we discovered when the last referendum took place, is that effectively there's a three-way split in Australia uh, between the yeah. people who want to directly elect a president, the people who want to use a parliamentary model, a minimalist republic, and the people who are content to stay with things as they are. Um, and the difficulty with a three-way split is that you've got to win a majority of the people yeah. in a majority of the states. Well, that's what happened. Uh, that's what happened with the referendum, of course. Howard basically, you know, drove. Uh, well, uh, it, it's perhaps not, not even a John Howard thing, but the 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 model that the Republicans came up with basically had had opposition from within. You know, so they just yeah. split it. Um, uh, and so we do have this issue of a. Uh, a democratically elected president, which many Republicans around, many republics around the world have, uh, you know, a, an appointment of essentially a symbolic, to, of someone to a, a symbolic position, um, or, or indeed a parliamentary appointment of, you know, two-thirds majority. That's, those are the two models. Can I suggest a, can I suggest a third, Jack? Mm. And that is what we made. Jimmy Barnes, president for life, and um, he'd win the he'd win the election, so it doesn't really matter whether we do it through the parliament or by the election. Jimmy Barnes, uh, president for life, and everyone's happy. That's an excellent suggestion. Um, if the Republicans are really serious about this, and I'm, I might add, I was a, a foundation member of the uh, Australian Republican movement. I've still got the key ring they gave me. <laughs> um, uh, I think it cost me a couple of hundred um, uh, back in the um, back in the late eighties, early nineties. If they're really serious about this, they're really serious about this. The first thing to do is to get rid of Peter Fitzsimons as the chairman of the Australian Republican yeah. movement because it's never going to happen while he's in charge. Uh, if I offer some sort of defence of him, at least he's been loud. But he, he's you you need someone who's going to drive consensus, and yes. and that's and that's the first. First, you've got to drive consensus from within the Republican movement mm. on the best what best model for. I believe their current model. Well. It's, it's hard to know what their position is. The, the current model is, I believe, a parliamentary election. Yes. But but to be open to the idea of uh, uh, of, of, uh, of a presidential election, uh, uh, to the election of a, of a president who essentially uh, be uh, perform the same duties as a governor, governor general, so it's a symbolic position. Um, <sighs> And, uh, and and so they're going to have to drive consensus there. Then they're going to have to try and win enough people over uh, who who sort of either are, are advocates of the constitutional monarchy or argue, well, why should we change things? Yep. That's going to be hard to do. It's a hard thing to do. It's a long-term proposition. I suspect as as the sort of, you know, the, the, the accepted wisdom about all of this is that none of this can happen while uh, QE2 remains uh, in the vertical, and that's probably right. Yeah, I, I, I've got my doubts as to how much that affects the Australian position, uh, but... Yeah, uh, oh, I think lots of people have a good look at Prince Charles on the throne, mate. Yeah, well, 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 if he behaves like he was last week, and indeed like his son was last week, both of them um, uh, dipping their toe into the political waters and doing the stuff that the Queen has never done in in her entire seventy years in charge, which is to you know get involved in political issues of the day. If they keep doing that, 
that that's great for the Republican cause. Yeah, look, it would be, uh, but I suspect uh, none of that would occur. I mean, you, this debate will just go very, or the push, shall we say, from the current government will go very quietly just for a little while uh, until uh, until such a time. I mean, the, the Windsors are known for their longevity, particularly the women, Jack, and uh, <laughs> so it might be some time, uh, and we, we don't want to go into that any further other than to say it's it's probably not something the Australian people will consider seriously by referendum until such a time as we have. Prince Charles, I think it's the third, isn't it? Charles the third? Or to be the fourth? I can't remember. Oh, there's, there's no guarantee you'll choose to be called Charles as well. So um, uh, he, he, he may well revert to one of his other names. He's got about six, I think. Uh, <laughs> well, to be fair, I think at least, uh, well, there, were, there was a Prince Charles, I think, the second. He he, uh, he got necked, didn't he, um, at one point mm. um, during the, uh, the, the, uh, the Civil War? I just don't think that the Republic issue is a, is a, is a matter of a high order of importance for most Australians. Yeah, that's, that's, I think that's right. And that's why we've got to go a bit gently with that. And it's perhaps one of the mistakes the Keating government did make, to go a little bit too fast with these things, uh, change the flag, change the, change the national anthem, which should be done right now, by the way, but um, uh, uh, and, 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 and move towards a Republic. Those kind of symbolic issues, you really need to take the people along and it takes time. Yeah, and uh, when I'm talking to Republicans, I sometimes say, "Well, should we be, should we be moving before the Canadians or after the Canadians?" Because they've all forgotten that Canada's got the Queen of um, as their Queen as well. Got a beautiful flag, though. Much yeah, better yeah. flag. Well, maybe that's more important. Yeah, that's that's a, that's a tough one now, mate. That's just about undoable now. Um, and the Kiwis knocked theirs back too, because they yeah. <laughs> like like the Canadians who moved to a sensible flag with their own identity on it. Um, uh, the New Zealanders have gone for the, you know, the Australian flag with the slightly different stars. It's all very confusing when you put a lot of the Pacific nations together, um, and, and they're all got the uh, the Union Jack in the uh, the right hand corner, left hand corner. It is, yeah. What did Jerry Seinfeld call it? Britain by night. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we'll leave it at that. Good on you, Jack. Great to have you along, um, and uh, we'll be back next week with Hard Hats and High Viz. That'll be episode 11, I think, if I've got the count right, and I may be wrong. Um, and uh, Matt's just not our strong point, is it, really? Matt, you know? just, look, we've gone beyond <laughs> 10, so we're definitely, we're definitely going to be battling. Um, so I just remind our listeners, if you've liked what you've heard today, drop us a line, let us know. If you've got any questions, we'd love to hear from you too. Uh, drop us a line on the conditional release program at gmail.com. But if you like what you've heard, especially, um, uh, uh, give us a bit of a give us a bit of a uh, a bit of a shove up, a bit of a push uh, on social media. We'd enjoy that. Good on you, Jack. We'll talk to you next week. Cheers, Jack.